Welcome to the Creative Pen Podcast. I'm Joanna Penn, thriller author and creative entrepreneur, bringing you interviews, inspiration and information on writing, publishing options and marketing ideas for your book. You can find the episode show notes, your free author blueprint and lots more information at thecreativepen.com and that's pen with a double n. And here's the show. Hello creatives, I'm Joanna Penn and this is episode number 567 of the podcast and it is Friday the 6th of August 2021 as I record this. In today's show, I'm talking to Karen Inglis about lessons learned from a decade of self-publishing and marketing children's books and her extraordinary success with ads as well as foreign rights licensing. So many people say, oh, you can't sell many children's books, but uh, Karen's just done incredibly well. And many of her tips are valuable, whatever genre you write. So that is coming up in the interview section. In publishing and book marketing news, In the continued expansion of the subscription model, Pearson launches a subscription app. And this is no doubt the first of many big publishers launching these types of apps. Uh, More than 1,500 ebooks will be available on Pearson's new Netflix-style student subscription app, Pearson Plus, which will also feature note-taking and audiobooks. There you go. So total bundling. And uh, to be honest, you know, when I think about what I would want as a student, that is probably exactly what I would want. There were so many times when, back in the day, <laughs> when, you know, you would have to buy this, all these textbooks, and maybe you'd only use a chapter out of this one and chapter out of that one. So, yeah, it's um, the academic publisher revealed its new product last week, launching exclusively in the US, priced uh, $9.99 a month, oh, $14.99 a month for a single ebook. Why would you do that? And $14.99 a month for multi-access use. So clearly most people will go for that multi-access and students will need to sign on for an initial period of four months. So I think that is a that will work very well for them. I'm pretty sure that will work really well. And uh, that, I think, is also the way it's going to go in many other areas. So, um, you know, and will happen for courses and books and all these types of things. So really interesting that one of the big publishers is, is going for it. And no doubt we'll see more of that coming. Last week, I mentioned that Amazon has added access to creating A-plus content for our book pages. If you check the marketing tab on the KDP dashboard, you will see it. And I gave some examples of where it could be useful, but I wondered whether it was worth the time. And uh, if you didn't listen to last week's show, basically A-plus content is if you scroll down on an Amazon uh, book page, you'll uh, not just book page, any page, you'll see, um, you know, extra pictures and text and tables and lots of different things sort of making the page much more alive and then the reviews will be below that but this is a chance to give lots more information or inspire people or use imagery to kind of bring the book alive and I said oh you know maybe it will be a waste of time for some people. But the hot sheet from Jane Friedman this week went into more detail. Amazon itself has said that A-plus content increases sales an average of 5.6%. But of course, there are many variables that affect your success. Jess Johns, Consumer Insight 
manager at Ingram, says studies across different product categories have shown anywhere from 3 to 20% conversion rate improvement for products with A-plus content, which is pretty good, you know, really. So what it says is even though A-plus content is not currently indexed for Amazon search, although presumably it might be in the future, it is indexed by Google. So A-plus content can support your overall search engine optimization efforts. Now, that is very interesting to me because I do get a lot of SEO um, uh, people turning up. You might have found me because you searched for something on Google. Uh, So there you go. So this is interesting. And this is also something that could be potentially outsourced, which I'm definitely interested in doing. So if you specialize in developing A plus content for authors, let me know. Obviously, this is an emerging area. So um, possibly if you're a virtual assistant for authors or if you have a virtual assistant, uh, then this is definitely going to be something that will emerge. I would expect people to be offering, um, you know, a new service on this. This might be an idea for you if if you do author services. And if you do, I'm definitely interested. So uh, Joanna at thecreativepen.com. What what is so interesting right now, and I was talking to someone else about this, is that, uh, oh, in fact, the in-between episode I had with um, John Bond last uh, week, or in fact, it goes out today as I record this, but um, I was basically saying, oh, you know, I, I got a bit bored, you know, I was getting a bit bored with, with publishing and book marketing, everything seemed to be staying the same. And now suddenly it is all going nuts again and suddenly I'm excited because there's all these new things. I do like new things. I'm a bit of a change junkie, that's for sure. (laughs) You might have noticed. (laughs) Anyway, so that's interesting. Another interesting thing, the hot sheet also covers the popularity of hardbacks. Of course, this is only going to grow as KDP Print is rolling out hardbacks to indies. I still don't have access, even though I've asked for it, which is annoying. Of course, Ingram Spark have done hardbacks for years, and that's how I do my hardbacks. Uh, basically, hardcover sales generally, as tracked by BookScan, are up 23%. Paperback sales are up 17%. Lots of growth. Now, if you're not doing your books in hardback, you might be missing out. Some genres do better than others. Um, Certainly for nonfiction, I've noticed my own buying has changed. I am now increasingly buying a hardback edition of print books that I want to buy, which are all nonfiction. I only read fiction on uh, Kindle. Um, but for nonfiction, I listen to audiobooks and I also buy hardbacks. They are, I don't know, I just, I like, I do like the tactile feel. I also find I'm doing a lot more of my reading and book research in print, which is definitely a change in my behaviour. But I think this is Again, because if you spend all your time online, like we do, and like more and more people have during the pandemic, then I guess you feel like not spending so much time on other digital devices later. So, and, and also I was thinking that because I'm not spending so much money on things like travel, I'm like, of course I'm going to pay an extra three pounds for the hardback or whatever. I want to have a nice looking book. So I think that's very interesting. Also, on Ingram, print-on-demand hardcovers at Ingram are selling more than paperback at the moment, which is very interesting. You can, and Jane Friedman's Hot Sheet is fantastic, you can subscribe at hotsheetpub.com. Obviously, I can only ever share a couple of things, but it's a jam-packed uh, newsletter. It's a paid newsletter, premium, it's very reasonably priced, comes out every two weeks, so hotsheetpub.com. 
I also attended a virtual podcast movement this week online, a couple of big takeaways. So firstly, in one session on the future, on the future of audio, Ashley Carmen, who's a reporter at The Verge, was asked, where are we in the journey of podcasting? And podcast movement as a convention has been around for uh, uh, like over a decade. She said, we're at the end of podcasting and at the beginning, the very beginning of audio. So I'll say that again, we're at the end of podcasting and at the very beginning of audio. And this just, this struck me like uh, like a, a sledgehammer because it's exactly what I've been feeling. For so long, it's been podcasting over here, audiobooks over here, radio over there. And now we've got broadcasters doing high production special podcasts. We've got audio first originals. We've got audio products of all kinds of different things. We've got books that might be audio first and then turn into a, a, a print product. We've got voice talent working across all these different things. We've got voice first smart speakers and AI assistants and AI voice and uh, all these things and the emergence of social audio. So Clubhouse has been around for a while now, but Mark Cuban launched Fireside at the conference, which is another sort of well, it's hard. It, it, now we're just saying it's an audio app because it will be podcasting, it will be live audio, it will be social audio, it will be all these different things. Um, plus, Twitter now has spaces, which I've just got access to, which will mean I can go on Twitter and do uh, live audio with people who are there on my Twitter stream. And Facebook is incorporating podcasts, which I'll talk about more in a minute. And I think we, it is a major, major deal. So the point is that audio and the voice first ecosystem is expanding into ever more areas. And uh, as I said, I don't think that's a surprise during a pandemic because more people are online. So uh, if you're going to spend hours every day on Zoom and Teams, then in your leisure time or when you're multi so multitasking, exercising, cooking, doing your chores or whatever, you're listening to audio or reading hardbacks. <laughs> <laughs> so interestingly, on the stats, two years ago, people mostly listened to audio in their cars during a commute. Now it's mainly in the home and people make more time to listen as you guys are doing now. And it's only growing. So I, I'm once again feeling quite uh, quite pres prescient, I think, with my book Audio for Authors, which included podcasting, audiobooks and voice technologies. And I put it all in that one book because I was feeling that this is all one thing. It's all voice and listening. It's it's all one thing. Why are people uh, separating it? And so this is moving forward now. So coming to Facebook, uh, this is so funny because I have not been engaged with Facebook for years. Like I really, I'm not someone who enjoys Facebook or has really used Facebook to its vast potential. I have Facebook pages and uh, perhaps you're even, um, perhaps you found me that way. Uh, and I do put my content onto Facebook, but I don't really engage there and I haven't done ads for ages and all that kind of thing. But what's interesting is Facebook did a presentation on how they are rolling out podcasts on their platform and they are taking this seriously. It's it's going to have its whole new tab. It's going to be on the watch area. Area, so you can watch Facebook video, but now there'll be a whole podcast area, so it will be audio. 
native audio. So there will be a couple of things. Uh, Firstly, they will pull in existing RSS feeds. If you're a podcaster, you'll have a feed. And as ever, it's uh, available first to people in the US, selected people in the US, but should be rolling out further in the next few months. And uh, this is is big news. A lot of people on Facebook have never listened to a podcast. And it's interesting, they are using the word podcast. So essentially, that will bring the word into... um, more common usage, I guess. And it's it's a big new market. They have promised to honour the existing ads that people use, although eventually I'm sure they'll look to do audio ads of their own. So they're going to bring existing creators onto the platform, but then I'm sure people will start natively creating um, Facebook audio. They also have this pretty cool sound bites clipping feature. So you'll be able to select a section of audio from within your app and share it on your profile really easily and there'll also be a way to do live audio and it will have the social sharing aspect to it so I love this because it means if you enjoy Facebook if you if you're a Facebook user you can select a section you can share it you can talk about it and that is super interesting to me so I have Facebook pages for my author brands but I really hardly use them as I said and and now it's funny because I'm interested (laughs) Again, I might also consider doing live audio on Facebook because I do have quite a big audience there and I know it's the platform that even if people don't use a lot, they often have a uh, presence. So, um, and then you can download the audio from Facebook and use it as a podcast, blah, blah, blah. So yeah, I'm interested in how that's going to be. So another request, I really, as things change, you know, I'm, I definitely need more help. I need to overhaul my Facebook pages. <laughs> I literally, I mean, I've had them for, I probably had facebook.com forward slash the creative pen for a decade. And it's got, you know, I don't know, 25,000 people on or something. It's, it's not huge, but it's, it's just been sitting there. But uh, I have a, I did put or oh, my uh, virtual assistant, Alexandra, put all my books on and into the store, but that needs fixing. I mean, it's really, I haven't even tried to do anything for years with it. So again, if you are a virtual assistant or you're a Facebook specialist or you have a recommendation, please email me, Joanna, at The Creative Pen, because I want to be ready with my pages once Facebook rolls this out. I want to make the most of that. I think it's going to be a big opportunity. And uh, so, yeah, I definitely need help because I am not (laughs) good at Facebook. So in terms of book marketing for you, even if you're not a podcaster, this is very, very interesting. If you are a podcaster, obviously you're going to need a Facebook page. So if you don't have one or you don't want to associate it with your author page, then sort that out. If you're an author who wants to use podcast interviews to do book marketing, and of course all my guests will agree that it sells books, uh, if you are an author with a Facebook page or a group and you have a big Facebook audience, then when you pitch podcasters, start mentioning that because that's going to be something people are interested in is, yes, I want a guest who's going to share this to their Facebook audience and who knows what they're doing on Facebook. That hasn't been the case before because it's just not been a big enough thing. It's not been an audio focus, but this is a big deal. So yeah, that will be good if you're someone who's been enjoying Facebook and you're you that's the way you want to go then yeah could be very very interesting 
Also, just a comment on the online experience of what is an excellent conference. Podcast movement is very, very good. Um, it's very good value for the online ticket, to be honest. If you're new to podcasting or advanced, it always has a lot of content for, for everyone on every spectrum. But I definitely want to attend in person. I got so much from networking, walking around, going to sessions that I might not do online, you know, um, going to the expo booths. And when I attended in 2019, which I did an episode on, I discovered two major things, Descript.com for editing audio with text and also YouTube um, being a growing place for pe- people to listen to to audio. And I know many of you are listening now on YouTube. And those two things were well worth the trip for my business. And even though I feel like I've definitely learned from the online session, I get a lot from going to a physical conference. So I am really looking at that. Maybe even Dallas, Texas in 2022. I am thinking of going to that because... Um, I think podcasting is, again, moving into this new phase. Very interesting stuff. So my personal update very quickly, I'm pretty much 100% recovered. (laughs) I've been out walking a lot more, progressively adding in hills, feeling much happier about things. So essentially, it's been three weeks from woe to go in terms of COVID. (laughs) Very happy that I was vaccinated. So I had the uh, mild version and seems to be no residual symptoms. So yay for that. Uh, I've been working on recording the audiobook for The Relaxed Author. That is progressing well. It will be out on 18th of September 2021. And uh, yeah, it's been it's a good book, actually. I, I've been enjoying it. And working with Mark Leslie Lefebvre is, is obviously always wonderful. And uh, we're, we're really just focusing on the joys of being an author and trying to cut out all the stress. So I hope hope you'll find it interesting. I haven't been able to get back into my novel. I've definitely felt resistance to that um, Tomb of Relics. But this week, as this goes out, I am going back to the co-writing space and I am going to get back the rhythm of my fiction. But I know once I get started, I'll warm up and it'll be fine. I just need to put my butt in the chair and do the work. (laughs) And in fact, I often pause around 25k as a discovery writer in order to figure out what the book is about, (laughs) what it's turning into. So that's probably what I will do as this goes out on Monday morning. I will be at the co-writing space and I will be reading my first 25,000 words and then I'm sure things will progress. You will hear next week whether that works. In useful stuff, my friend Nick Stevenson and uh, author obviously has a new free video course on how to build your author business from zero to a thousand dollars a month or expand your sales and put your marketing on autopilot. Now, Nick helped me with my set and forget email list setup. Nick is definitely someone who's helped me become a more relaxed author. So he knows his stuff and these are brand new videos he just recorded. So they are all up to date. It's a free video series covering the numbers you need in terms of readers and sales to get to some bigger numbers, how to think about them, the sales triggers, how to get traffic, how to build your email list, scaling up with ads and how to bring it all together. So Nick is very good at automation. So if you want low hassle marketing and you want to check out that free video course, go to thecreativepen.com forward slash 10k. So one zero little k, thecreativepen.com forward slash 10k links in the show notes as ever. It is a free course, uh, but I'm an affiliate of his paid course if you choose to uh, get that at some point. 
I also wanted to recommend Alistair Humphrey's new book, Ask an Adventurer, which goes into the behind the scenes details on how he runs his life. And you could basically swap out working adventurer for author entrepreneur in many of the cases. Most of the book is about writing, marketing, blogging, podcasting, and the business side of being a solo entrepreneur, a solopreneur, whatever you want to call it. (laughs) Plus, obviously, there are some interesting things about adventures, (laughs) but a lot of it is mindset and practical things, how you have to put yourself out there if you want to make money at this, even though you might be uncomfortable, and tips on how to do that, plus long-term thinking, Plus a lot more on speaking. And I, if you've got my book on public speaking, uh, Alistair's in that. Um, he's, he makes a lot of money from speaking, but he's also got 13 books. So he and wants to focus on uh, books and being an author going forward. So we, it was interesting reading the book because we have very similar practices in many ways, like multiple streams of income, scheduling and batching work, reduced use of social media, saying no more and... Um, Al started blogging before me. He only recently started podcasting, but it's a very interesting book. And I, I, it's just good to read behind the scenes info from another mature creative business. And I think that's really important. If you're just starting out, you're like figuring out all these things. Read how to do things from people who've been doing this for over a decade. And uh, Alistair's definitely one of those. So the book is Ask an Adventurer by Alistair Humphreys. Link in the show notes. So thanks for your emails and tweets and comments this week. Lots of you resonated with Peleg's interview. Melissa Story says, absolutely the best episode. So many answers in just a short amount of time. Meg Jolly says, this interview is incredible. One of my favourites of your whole backlist, saving for future listens. It really resonates being in a position of close to creative burnout and seeking that joyous, free creative spirit once more. Oh, thank you, Meg. So glad you enjoyed it. And Rebecca says, the episode on resting and rediscovering creativity was utterly perfect for my first full day in my brand new house and brand new life in Maine, feeling a bit lost and uncertain. I needed to hear that it's okay to trust my decisions and trust that everything will be okay. Absolutely. And also, uh, Just quickly from Rachel Heron sent a shot of the gorgeous night sky Venus from the Auckland parking lot (laughs) where I walking round and round in managed isolation uh, listening to the show. And uh, that's where I will be in uh, November, December. We're going to New Zealand. We we managed to get a slot in managed isolation, (laughs) which is it's like gold dust. (laughs) We're both Kiwi citizens, if you wondered. Kiwi citizens, double vaxxed, you know, all the all the stuff we are we are going hopefully and also thanks to Alison who emailed about direct sales she says with your encouragement on the podcast I decided to set up PayHip and book funnel now 2021 is tracking to be my best year yet the majority of my sales are coming directly from PayHip Also, she said on TikTok, a reader was complaining, saying that she wished she could buy the physical book and get the digital download with her purchase. And uh, so I put bundles on my site. You can buy the physical book with digital or audio or all three together in any combination. I've seen a huge boost in sales. So this is a very good tip from Alison and something I am now considering. At the moment, you can buy the ebook and the audio book from me separately. But doing bundles is a something I am now considering. I'm not going to do print 
personally because uh, not at the moment because I, I can't be bothered to <laughs> do shipping <laughs> and bundles. You would presumably have to do that, but I, you know, they might happen at some point. So today's show is sponsored by Ingram Spark, which is a very good fit for the news, given that hardback sales are on the rise. And also for the topic of today, as children's books definitely need print. <laughs> so I use Ingram Spark to print and distribute my self-published print books wide, because with Ingram Spark, it's my content, but they help me do more with it. So why even consider Ingram Spark? Well, if you only use KDP Print, you cannot get your books into bookstores, libraries, universities and distributed to the many other print-on-demand sites in many countries. They will not consider your book if you're only on Amazon because you, A, they might not want to use it and B, you need to consider a discount. You need to offer a discount and uh, be available in that way. So if you care about getting your book into these places, you need to go wide with your print books. And remember, this: uh, even if you're exclusive for ebooks, you can still do print only with Ingram Spark. You will have access to over 40,000 retailers, independent bookstores, libraries, schools and universities, chain bookstores and more across a global network of distributors, including bookstores like Foils, Blackwells and Waterstones in the UK, Bookshop.org, which of course has become much more uh, popular, Booktopia in Australia and New Zealand, Chapters Indigo in Canada, Walmart, Target and loads of independent stores in the USA. Of course, this means your book will be available to order, but you will still have to drive demand. But since having my books on Ingram Spark, I've had many of you send me pictures of my books in libraries. I've had them sold at book fairs, conventions and discovered them in physical stores, which is very exciting when I didn't do anything around that. You can choose to use returns, but it's not necessary. And you can choose your discount percentage. You can also bulk order, for example, if you want back of the room copies for live events or, as Karen suggests, you work direct with schools or you're working direct with bookstores. So, for example, I've had several bookstores in the USA order direct from me and I just ship from Ingram in boxes to the location and it all works very well. In fact, I'm about to ship a box of books to New Zealand from Australia where um, so I can do some events. I'm intending to do some events in Auckland, maybe even Wellington uh, in New Zealand over the northern winter, southern summer. <laughs> so that's what I, I will be just going on the Ingram Spark website, ordering a box of books and it will print in Australia, ship to New Zealand. All good. Very, very cool. So if you want to expand your print formats and your distribution, what are you waiting for? It's your content. Do more with it. Head on over to ingramspark.com. This type of sponsorship pays for the hosting, transcription and editing, but my time in creating the show is sponsored by my wonderful patrons. Uh, thank you to everyone who's been supporting the show for months and some of you years. And uh, thanks to new sponsors, Neil M., Terry Thomas and Andre should be writing. And uh, you can support the show with just a few dollars or euros or GBP or Canadian dollars a month, uh, a couple of coffees a month if you're feeling generous, and uh, you will get the monthly Q&A audio for patrons only. You can support the show at patreon.com forward slash the creative pen. Right, let's get into the interview. 
Karen Inglis is the best-selling author of books for children, including The Secret Lake, Eek the Runaway Alien, and The Tell Me Tree. Her book for authors, How to Self-Publish and Market a Children's Book, has recently been released as a second edition. So welcome back to the show, Karen. Oh, thank you for having me again, Joanna. It's lovely to be here. Oh, good. Now, you were last on the show in 2018. Uh, and since then, of course, you've written more books. But just uh, give us an overview as to what books you have now and also what age groups, because I know that's always important for the children's market. Well, in terms of new books beyond the those I have already, of course, I've got my picture books, the original ones, Ferdinand Fox picture books, but I now have two new picture books since we last spoke. So I have The Christmas Tree Wish, uh, which is for ages three to six, three to five, uh, and The Tell Me Tree. And The Christmas Tree Wish came out in 2019, so probably a year or so after we spoke. And then The Tell Me Tree came out last summer. And then beyond that, I have brought out German versions of The Secret Lake, uh, French and German versions of The Christmas Tree Wish and The Tell Me Tree. And then, of course, my big nonfiction book. And then beyond that, of course, I've still got my chapter book, uh, Eek the Runaway Alien, uh, for ages 7 to 10. I've got Henry Haynes and the Great Escape for ages 6 to 8, and The Secret Lake and Walter Brown for sort of ages 8 to 11. Ah, well, it's a really interesting spread. I know, I know. I I mean, it's by accident rather than design. <laughs> well, it's good. You're taking them through to, from three till 11. So there's lots yeah, of options exactly. as as, yeah, as the I, kids kids grow. Exactly. And, and I always say that just comes because the, my stories come to me rather than me deciding I'm going to write a book for a certain age. It's always something I hear or see that then triggers the book. So the Christmas tree wish, the one that came out the year after you last interviewed me, the idea I'd seen a tree on Barnes Green, you know, for several years earlier, and I knew I wanted to write a story about it, but I was waiting. I, I, and then something I overheard a conversation that suddenly made me realize what the story would be. And uh, likewise, with the tell me tree, a very similar story. Uh, so I never know what's coming next. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So tell us what has changed for children's authors in terms of publishing options since the last edition of your nonfiction book. So, for example, is is digital any bigger or is still print uh, as dominant uh, and anything on audio as well? Because I think that might be something that might have changed. Yes. Yeah. Well, I would say that in terms of publishing options, um, Print is, in terms of, you know, what sells, print is still dominant. It still makes up 95% of my sales and of most middle grade authors I know. But, you know, there's one or two exceptions. And there was a slight increase in digital during the pandemic, particularly the early part. And I certainly saw that. And again, other authors I know saw that. But it has sort of dropped back again to the, the usual split for the most part. I say the only exception to that might be if somebody's writing for somewhere that's middle grade, but slightly touching on young adult. So maybe you might sell a little bit more digitally then. Audio uptake, I think it's the same for children's books as it is across the board. It is on the increase. And But in, in terms of publishing options, they are all the same as they, they have been up to now. But, but what has changed is that the tools to get books to market um, and promote them have evolved and improved, as we all know, that generally for everybody, but just since you and I spoke, um, certainly for children's authors, it's a lot easier to, to now uh, promote your book. 
Mm. Well, we'll come back to marketing. Just um, so 95% of your sales are in print, which is, is fascinating. Are you only using print on demand or are you also doing short runs and warehousing and that type of thing? I'm doing short runs, but only in a very limited fashion. And I would only recommend this personally in this sort of circumstance. And I'm doing it for the Secret Lake. And the reason being that the Secret Lake you know, as you probably know, has become a bestseller. And back in 2018, when I saw how much it was selling on Amazon uh, in the UK, and you know, as well as in other countries, I, I anticipated, I thought, well, hang on a minute, at some stage, word of mouth is going to really take over here. And I can imagine people walking into bookshops in the UK asking for copies of it, because they're not buying from Amazon. And then they would probably have this problem of the delivery time through Ingram Spark, which we're all aware of, which is not Ingram Spark's fault. It, it's to do with the whole supply chain getting getting it to the bookshop. And so what I've got, I've got an arrangement with Clay's publishers here in the UK, where I do upfront printing, they store it for me, and they send it to gardeners wholesalers. So that's how I work. I mean, there are children's authors, and certainly there are children's authors over in the US who who do actually regularly do upfront print runs. They they sometimes even shipping from China, and they do Kickstarter and all that sort of thing uh, to have you know big big runs that they sell themselves. But that's a lot of work, and it's something. I would only personally recommend once you know that you've got an established brand and you're selling well, if you know what I mean. I just think there's too much risk involved otherwise in having basements full of books, if that makes sense. Yeah, oh, absolutely. It's certainly, it's not something I personally do myself. And it's interesting to hear that you only do it with that one book, Secret Lake, which is your bestseller. Uh, And you, yeah, and so you use print on demand for the other books, even those picture books. I feel that some people still have doubts about um, quality of picture books if they're printing on demand any comment on that no I think they're absolutely fine I mean there, there, there tends to be the, the thing you can't get and I blogged about this way back in the early days if you're doing print on demand you will not get the silk finished pages and that is disappointing and I love the moment that you know becomes available but most in, in the early days I did with Ferdinand Fox. Um, Ferdinand Fox's Big Sleep. I, I was so worried about that. I did pay up front to have 500 printed. And it, the parents really didn't notice the difference. I think the time it does make a difference is possibly in if you're standing in a bookshop. But even then, I've noticed picture books in bookshops now aren't all that silk finished paper either. Maybe that's for environmental reasons. I'm not sure the sorts of papers uh, are, that are being used. But, you know, I've been very happy on, on the whole with the quality. But we all hear stories. Some, sometimes KDP, it, it, their colour is coming out better than Ingram Spark. And sometimes it's vice versa. At the moment, I would say my KDP colour picture books look better on paper than the Ingram ones uh, from time to time. I think Ingram's changed one of their printers at some stage. I wouldn't say there's a quality problem. It's just that you're not going to get like for like if, you know, if you're thinking that you want to have silk finished pages. And important to say there that the variability with print on demand, uh, having visited like the the Ingram site and of course, Amazon in some territories use Ingram to print anyway. So I feel like, you know, and it might depend on the machine, the the run, the plants you're getting it from. So people listening, you can order an order, uh, an author copy 
And someone in Australia, for example, might get something that looks completely different. <laughs> well, not completely different, but the colours might be a bit different or the, the paper might be a bit different. So I think that is important is it when you do one, say, 500 print run, then all the copies should be the same. But we all have to be a bit more um, confident with variability, I guess. Exactly, exactly. And yes, so... And as you say, they get printed in different places and where your author copies come from isn't necessarily where the, where the copy is going to come from for somebody who orders online. And it really just varies. So I think it's it, that the trade-off is, or it, it is the slight compromise you have to have with having that access to not having to fill your house up with <laughs> thousands of books and, and then find a way to sell them. On the whole, I'm, I'm very happy. And on the few occasions where there has been an issue, Amazon has immediately replaced uh, uh, and, and without any questions. So from that perspective. And the other thing I would say about picture books with KDP print is you can get a very good unit price with your author books. A 32-page colour picture book here in the UK uh, is something like £2.05 for an author copy, which, you know, is pretty damn good, actually. So, mm. uh, and it doesn't, however few or many you order, you know, that's pretty good. That is pretty mm. good. Definitely. And then uh, you mentioned bookstores briefly, because, of course, their bookstores can order uh, and the copies might come from Ingram or from Gardeners, as you say. But what is there difficulty? I mean, many indie authors struggle to get their books into bookstores uh, and libraries even. So what are your tips or how have you achieved getting into bookstores and libraries? Well, in terms of bookstores, I've only ever tried to get into local bookshops. And that's what I would always say to children's authors is to start your you know, market yourself locally to begin with. Get to know your local bookshops, because beyond that, it's not really worth the effort because the likelihood of somebody going into a bookshop and asking for your book is is fairly low. And, the, the, and, and so it's going to be a lot of effort for you to to try and spend all that time marketing to bookshops around the country. I mean, it would be a huge amount of time. So just focus locally where you can have a relationship. And you can take in consignment copies to them and sign copies or whatever or whatever. But and even now, The Secret Lake, I wouldn't say I although it's a bestseller and there is huge demand for it. I wouldn't say you're going to walk into many bookshops on the high street and find it sitting there. It tends to be when people are, are asking for it, particularly because it's not a new book either. So I, I will just focus your, your effort locally in terms of that. In terms of libraries, um, I would just say contact your local library hub and uh, see if you can persuade them to take your book. And the way that you can persuade them to do that will be through giving them evidence of the fact you're selling locally. And again, that comes around to all your local marketing, doing your school visits and so on and building up from there, because then if the library likes it, they may talk to other librarians. I mean, I have to say I'm guilty. I haven't done. I've listened to over the years and kept notes on never at the moment found time to strategically market myself to the whole of the UK library system for example (laughs) that's a big call (laughs) well precisely you know that you know as we know we're always very busy so again it's one of those things that's sort of on the list as it were or you know perhaps if I hired myself an assistant or something but I think word of mouth what you want to do is have write a really good book start to market it locally and let word of mouth spread and then you sort of go out from there as it were and then I'm sure we'll be coming on to talk about advertising and online sales which is where I think you know whereas a while ago I would have said well most of your books you're going to sell are going to be at face-to-face at events a lot has changed since you and I last spoke on that front 
So mm. I would be putting my effort into understanding how that side of things works rather than getting obsessed with thinking that you're going to get your book into every bookshop because it's not going to happen. You would have to allow returns, which would, it would carry too much risk. And, and so you're not going to allow the returns and therefore the chances of bookshops ordering them in is pretty low. But it's not going to prevent somebody walking into a shop anywhere in the country or indeed around the world and saying they would like your book. They can still order it, provided you've got it with Ingram Spunk. Mm, absolutely. OK, well, let's talk about uh, marketing then, because you've done super well. And it, it, I remember when I first met you, I, I think it's coming, probably coming up for like a decade or something. It was, a, it was at, uh, two, uh, well, I think we probably met face to face at the Ally opening. London. 2012 London Book yes, Fair. Yes, yes, I, think, I guess. Yes, that yeah. would have been then. And I remember back then and you, you only had a couple of books then or maybe even one book. And you were like, yeah, children's books just don't sell as many copies as other ones and now look at you now and a a lot of that has to do with the advent of uh, Amazon ads and online marketing so tell us how how things have changed and what you're doing as your main marketing sources yes yes so so and what I would say just to to start off is that don't still don't never mind the fact we've now got all the online advertising still really important not to underestimate that power of that local marketing still do all of that I mean I had sold 7,000 copies I think of the secret lake and 10,000 books in all by the end of 2017 before the online marketing thing really started to take off and that by its own standards was pretty good compared with what a lot of traditionally published um, midlist authors so don't underestimate that but what has really changed is since we last spoke is the fact that Amazon ads have opened up and put us all on a level playing field. And so that discoverability thing has come about, which for children's authors was so much harder because we've got the gatekeeper. We're not selling direct to, to our audience is not online at the end of the day. And so they not only were they not, they were not seeing the books because they weren't there. Even if they happen to see them, there's a barrier because they're not the reader. So they're not going to make spur of the moment purchases as it were and and oh on top of that of course they're all in print but what but the the fact that the advertising on Amazon came along meant that you could now target get your book on the virtual books shelf next to books like yours that were selling on Amazon already so people could you know if you've got a good title now it can be seen and you've got as good chances as, as anybody else of being you know being able to to sell your books. Mm. So give us a bit more specifics on that. You mentioned targeting. So was that your main uh, Amazon advertising? Were you picking sort of a list of the top selling children's books and and bidding on those? Yes. The principles are the same really as as for adults. You just got to think like the cuck put yourself in the customer's shoes. So on the one hand, I would be targeting uh, books similar in theme to the, say, let's take the secret lake, books to do with traditional classic children. Children's books like The Secret Garden, Alice in Wonderland, all those sorts of things. Whereas with Eek, I might be targeting books through Jeff Kinney, those kinds of books, Tom Gates, chapter books, chapter type books. And everybody listening will know is the tools to help us do all that targeting. Again, when I first started, they were it was all very manual. You had to go on and really do it, you know, by hand. And there's a lot of things that can help you with that now to, to scrape a scrape or to take some of those details more quickly than we used to be able to Um, but it is that principle of going in and looking at books like yours in in categories like yours provided they're relevant Uh, so that's the one way of doing it and then the other way is obviously 
using generic keywords like if it's if it's an equally runaway alien, it might be you know chapter book for boys, book book for boys age seven. Again, thinking in terms of your target audience, what are they likely to be pushing into um, putting into Amazon when they're searching, and then grouping advertising accordingly. Having said that, we have all these wonderful tools. I do have to say because a lot of people have said to me, "Well, how is it you've done so well?" For example, with the Secret Lake advertising because Amazon is very tricky and difficult to, to understand and I think some of that is just the fact that I was in there early and so I have the benefit of the history of the algorithms sitting there behind a lot of my ads and, and because in the early days it was all manual and the, when I did try to use tools I found that they were returning keywords and books that just weren't relevant or they were adult books mixed in with them so I actually spent quite a long time hand harvesting my, my search terms and keywords. And I think maybe that does pay off. And I do even say that now is, yes, you can use some of these tools to help you see what categories exist, but I would still probably manually go through when it comes to it, not just don't just harvest things, blanket and just say, oh, that category is for chapter books. I'm going to target the whole of that category. I probably wouldn't do that because my the evidence I can give over the years, it's the ads where you have really hand selected and, and it's a lot of work to begin with, but there's a long tail on it, you know, um, mm. Uh, and have you found as you said I mean I think when you got into Amazon ads there weren't many children's authors potentially uh, advertising in that area and traditional publishing doesn't really need to because they have the front table at Waterstones or whatever and that's where they make most of their sales so I, I believe you had quite cheap ads at the beginning obviously now we after the well I say after the pandemic during the pandemic because we're still in a pandemic the cost per click has certainly I found in many of my areas is, is very very expensive and that traditionally published uh, traditional publishers and other marketers have come in to our area so have you found that the cost per click has changed and have you changed your strategy at all? Well I, I'm not paying high cost per click and I won't do that I mean a lot of my cost per clicks well I don't know what you classify as high but they're I would think they probably average about 20p, 20 cents, 25 cents, that sort of thing, or mm. and lower, and often a lot lower. And I think a lot of that, again, is to do with the history of ads, which have just been running a long time. And, you know, the auto ads have, have really come into a lot of my auto ads seem to be doing a lot of the heavy lifting for me. And they've just learned over the years, <laughs> and they're just keeping going. And, and they're quite low maintenance in that sense. But a few times, so for example, uh, and, and by the way, children's publishers were advertising when we were first let in they were all doing it and I remember looking at them god why can't I get onto this <laughs> if you know what I mean so so there was that competition there and it was hard to begin with but over time yes it, it just it seems to have worked but what happened was at one point what, what was it? something happened oh I know what it was I think we started off getting in through Amazon Advantage through the back door in the very early days and then when KDP advertising was open to everybody which absolutely we all wanted the prices did go up at that point and I found the American market just became too expensive with the secret lake and I actually paused a lot of my advertising it just wasn't doable but I never ever archived anything and it was because the rates were starting to go up to 45 cents and I just thought I'm not making money and I wouldn't advocate doing that so I, I left that and concentrated on the UK. And my other problem was I didn't really, I only had something like 40 or 15 reviews in the US. So I needed 
time for those reviews to organically build up, which takes forever with children's publishing. When then in 2018, I started, the UK market opened up and and the Secret Lake started to sell very quickly. It was very noticeable how quickly it went up. And then the reviews organically started to appear. I then went back to the US. I said, wait, it had been off for about six months or longer uh, and switched back on some of those ads that I turned off. But I didn't change any of the bids, so they were still low. And somehow it just remembered everything. And by then, I think slowly the Secret Lake was making its name in America and people started gradually to leave reviews. And then it just carried on from there. I, it did, I have been lucky in that sense. But equally, when I've re- released new books like The Christmas Tree Wish and The Tell Me Tree, I've had to go in with slightly higher bids, maybe 35 cents or something, to feel the market and see what's working and what isn't. And then sort of stop things that aren't working, carry on with what is for a while, and then try lowering the price a bit. But it it is very sort of feeling your way. It's quite difficult. And I think I'm down to running maybe just one ad on Amazon in the UK for the Tell Me Tree, which is making me an okay return, switched off the others. And something in the States, I can't make it work. So it's very difficult. But equally, I have discovered uh, I've got one Facebook ad running, which uh, is doing extremely well for the Tell Me Tree. And that's the only... Facebook ad I've ever made work. <laughs> mm. Well, I think the the tip for people listening is you have to experiment and try things and see what works for your books, for your genre. I mean, we've heard so many tales in, in the community and me for my own books. It, you know, ads work for some books, not for others, and ads, you know, don't really work for my personality. <laughs> no, 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 exactly. And you know, it's it's it was likewise, and uh, it was so weird doing the Facebook ad because I dabbled with that years ago and I've just decided not to but I suddenly realized the tell me true that actually I had an audience that wasn't just parents it was specifically teachers and specifically people who work in children's mental health and I suddenly thought oh there I can actually from recollection go into Facebook and find people who who identify you know with those cohorts and so that's been you know that's actually done very well I think the main thing is if you're advertising with Amazon is if things aren't working or they start not to work, don't archive, don't archive stuff, pause it, because you can always go back in and look at the stats there and set it going again. And in fact, Eek, I have just turned, returned on an ad that's been off for a while because I've just changed the cover because, you know, that's sold pretty, you know, it's, it's sold well, but not as well as it should. And I've been thinking, I've changed the description and I don't think it's the description. Now I thought, actually, maybe it's the cover. The cover isn't telling enough of the story uh, of what's going on in the book because it's as popular at my school events as the secret lake and is as well reviewed but it, it's getting it to take off online is difficult so i'm still experimenting in the same way that everybody else is and then and what i've done is i've switched on an ad that hadn't been on for a while but when i looked at the lifetime acos for that ad it was actually pretty decent if you see what i mean it was only in the more recent period that it did i guess with all the competition going on it had started to creep up and not become viable but i'm trying now we'll see what happens yeah, mm. yeah well, you mentioned before and um obviously if you don't want to share it no worries but you mentioned you'd sold 10,000 copies up to around 2017 before the ads kicked in are you happy to share uh what where you are now 
Oh, God, yes, yes, yes. And in fact, to my self-publishing book that's just come out, the second edition, I do share that, really. And so with the Secret Lake, um, it's now sold over 300,000 print copies in the English language. This is crazy. It's quite astonishing if you told me that. And actually, we're coming up for the 10-year anniversary, and uh, I'm guessing by the time this goes out, we'll pretty much be at the 10-year anniversary. Um, well, okay, so let's just stop there a minute because this is so important. And you said this earlier The Secret Lake is not a new book. No. And you sold 10,000 in the first, what, seven years or whatever? Uh, 7,000 because it's 10,000 books overall, I think. Of total. So 7,000. And now you've sold 300,000. I know. The- it's bonkers. <laughs> and, and, and in addition, I've sold foreign rights to seven countries. And I've also managed the translation into German where it's doing very well so someone said to me well what's the trick there you know I think it's the story the story is obviously captured people's imaginations and it's it, and you know that's definitely part of part the of story it. was the same Karen the story yes. was the same at the beginning and you haven't changed the story in fact I don't believe you even changed the cover because you don't want to break what's working right it's still I, your... I changed the cover once in 2018 just mm. after I started advertising but the sales had already started to I think I was advertising with the old cover for, between February and May of 2018 and the sales were already going up and I, that was the point at which I thought oh my god I've got to change the cover dare I do that now the sales are taking off but I did do it and it was fine, and it, and, it, and it carried on. But I think it was. But yes, so um, yes, it is. So it same, really was the, the, same the story. stories. Yeah, the, the, the story is amazing, but clearly yeah. it's the marketing giving it that push so that people actually noticed the exactly. story. A hundred percent. And then what's happened is because now that's so high volume. I suppose what's happening is that foreign publishers have seen how well it's doing and therefore they must be scouring the selling stats because those deals have all come as a result of people writing you know, contacting me, you know, going from there. Where, but with the German one, a lot, lot like a lot of the other people we know, uh, the adult books, I, I could see it. The English language version of the book was already selling quite well. And I do have an O-level in German. I would never even deem to even try. But I, 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 languages I read, so French and German, I, I will now. My next thing is to actually project manage the French translation. But that's gone very well and work with a professional German translator, professional German editor, professional German proofreader, and the first two experienced in children's books. So you have to do it properly if you're going to do it. And then many, in fact, we've seen this in the Ally Forum, even in the last few days, I see people saying, oh, I've had a a foreign publisher approach me. Should I now get an agent or what should I do? So any tips on, you know, if people get that email that says, and of course, I've had them too and signed some deals, but if people get that email from a publisher, what should they do? What, What have you done? Right. So I basically followed my own instinct. I didn't start looking for an agent, but I, one of my deals has been via an agent, the Turkish one, and it was an, an established agent. But my, So my tips would be, whoever contacts you, check their credentials, go and look at them online, look at their website. Are they publishing other children's books that you know of? You know, I had one in the early days, a couple of Turkish companies I looked at them and I realised, in fact, I ended up talking with uh, Victoria Strauss at Bryce Beware because I just thought, mm, this looks dodgy to me. <laughs> they looked as though they were just chancing it, looking for things to p- probably put through an AI translation or something. Um, so, so look at the websites and, and it will be very obvious. You'll start to see other, other UK books there. 
titles that you recognize and then you can feel confident that it's genuine and if it's an agent look at who they're representing and then look at what sales they're making and that's your starting point I, I i didn't go for an agent i just started reading up as much as i could on what sorts of things to look out for in contracts and took it from there it was a learning thing and then it's at the point at which you know you get so far down the line i think maybe when with the russian one it might have been i i was talking to ally i was talking with alliance of independent authors about the key, you know the key offer oh, and, the, and the Albanian one and I'm also a member of the Society of Authors so they also offer a sort of contract advice service so I tend to to use those and then the more you do the more you learn and what I was quite lucky as well in that one of the early ones I think it was a Russian one they sent me uh, a, a, a template contract which clearly had been used by one of the big traditional publishing houses. So I had quite a, a good starting point with that, if you see what I mean. And then over time, I've plain English them with me, you know, with my business writing hat on. A lot of them are so, I just like to lay it out my way, as it were. But you need to, but the initial contact you get is usually an advance, a royalty rate, an initial print run and an expected RRP or wholesale price. Because, because and that's one of the tips I would say is, especially countries in the eastern bloc countries a lot of the royalty rate is based on the wholesale price and not the the retail price so sort of ask those questions the other tip i give is if you've got a good cover be ready to let them use it i've read everything saying oh you know foreign that they won't want to use your own cover because everything's different and i was thinking well no not really from my perspective that's a sort of brand marketing tool your cover so mm. if you're already selling well i would recommend that and that's what's happened with the secret lake so so everybody so far is using the cover and then it's a question of you know the usual things make sure you've got a time limit a time limit and, and uh, of the contract make sure that they going to, they must publish it within a certain time period and if not you get the rights back separate royalty rates for audio and all that kind of thing and then one of the most interesting things that's come up recently and I'm sure you've read about it is this whole Disney is it called Disney Gate? I'm trying to remember. <laughs> yeah, Disney Gate, where basically the some people <laughs> that are claiming, uh, alleging that some people aren't paying contracts, saying that they don't have the they have the asset, but they don't have the liability to pay the contract. Basically. That was it. So that we're inheriting yeah. the, it's, it's, it's the takeover. They said we're inheriting. Yes, we're inheriting that the um, the IP. Yeah. Yes, yes, but we're not inheriting any debts. Yeah, we're not going to pay any, no. anyone. <laughs> so I, so my, my thing is, right, next time I'll say I want a clause saying you get your rights back if the publishing company is sold yes. and royalty payments are not honoured. You know, mm. have something in there that it's an automatic reversion or something like that. But my book, The How to Self-Publish and Market a Children's Book, second edition, goes into all, all that and gives more practical details and all that side of things. Um, yeah, I did um, also just want to emphasise, so you do have a background in business writing, finance yeah. writing, and you're, it, it's interesting because you've got this very, you know, creative side, obviously, your fiction side for, for children, but your non-fiction is very well structured. So I definitely recommend people look at that and you're super organized so yes yeah <laughs> I imagine I mean, it's much easier for me that. I mean it takes me when you look at my output compared with everyone else on all their fiction you know I manage one book a year and sometimes that's 500 words <laughs> but, <laughs> but uh, 
But this one has come in a third as long. So I would highly recommend if somebody's got the first edition, it's definitely worth getting the second edition. But yet it's very clearly structured. And that was my whole background for over 30 years is putting stuff into plain English and never assuming Never assume that that the reader knows something, but it's structured in a way that if you're you do know stuff, you can jump forward. And I've even gone so far as to create a separate edition called How to Market a Children's Book for for people who really don't. They just know the self publishing thing back to front. Yeah. Then you can go for the other one. But so that, having that background, yeah, I enjoy it. But it's a big job putting that book out. I have to say. Oh, yeah. <laughs> But also, it's interesting, you say know the self-publishing market back to front. I've been doing this a long time as well. And I'm still learning things all the time because we all, we're we're such a broad church and people do things differently. And even if you think you know an area or a platform or something, you can still learn things from what other people are oh, doing. Oh, 100%. Which is why I would actually say to anyone, get the big book. I mean, I, I learned, but as I said, there's this whole community over, mostly in the States, doing Kickstarter campaigns and ordering their books up front. And some of them are doing very well. I mean, again, I, I treat it with caution. You've just got to be a bit careful. But if you've got a real business mind and you've got a proven product and you've got guts and you've got a garage, <laughs> that can work for some people. And I do cover that at a high level, but, but then signposts to groups and authors to look at uh, to get more information. But equally, when I'm in those groups, I'm sometimes surprised when I hear somebody saying, Oh, what's Ingram Spark? You know, yeah. <laughs> a lot, you know, they don't know that there's this thing that you don't use, you know, to, of opting out of expanded di- distribution. Some of them don't know what KDP is. And I'm not, I'm definitely not being critical in any way. It is exactly what we're saying. There's so much to know. And if you're in one area, you might not necessarily know everything. And yeah, it's, <laughs> and because I'm, and again, what I'm very conscious of is because. A lot, like a lot of children's authors, I'm not wide with my ebooks, not not with my ebooks because so few ebooks are read or and sold. And the advantage of keeping them in um, in Amazon is that it does give you marketing opportunities. Where particularly with picture books, because if you have your five free days, you can make use those five free days to try to get some early reviews. Now, you couldn't be doing all that uh, if you were wide, for example. Mm-hmm. And it just helps kick things off. And because picture books are short to read and there are many, many children's authors who are also parents who might be in a group. You know, there are groups where people will just say, look, it's available for, for five days. My new book, if you've got little ones, lovely if you would take a copy and if, you you know, or done properly, very much. Leave a please, you know, please leave a review if you enjoy. No obligation, but things like that are. are so, so I'm not so. I think what I was coming around to say is I'm not as well versed in all the possibilities of wide as I might be. Uh, in mm, yeah, because actually, I'd, um, yeah, actually, I I come back and challenge that on because if 95% of your sales are print book, then what's the harm in having a perma free ebook? And it actually acts as marketing across a whole network of other platforms and is actually much easier to get reviews on because free ebooks get a lot more reviews. So that would be a sort of another angle for wide ebooks is make it perma free. It, it it can, yes, it, it could be if only the kids would read ebooks, but they're not reading them. So I have had the secret laid wide on two occasions. And 
I think now it probably would sell a lot more. But so we are talking in the days when it wasn't so well known. But, it, you know, it might have it sold a bit, but not a huge amount. And the, the reviews don't get written because the children aren't reading the ebook. if you follow me. They need mm. to be reading the print book. So so, so I suppose what you're saying is they might buy the the parent might see the ebook for free mm. and therefore might buy the print book. Yes, I could see that would be an argument, and there could be that. But I think I slightly come back to you, and I have no evidence for this. But if you're advertising on Amazon, having the ebook available uh, on Kindle Select KDP, I just sense my all my gut instinct is that it's somehow gives some advantage to your print book advertising, your overall advertising visibility. And because it's so difficult anyway with children's book advertising, that's where I'm, that's the sort of space I'm in. But equally, it is on my radar to go back out and try again a bit more if more children stick or move towards ebooks post pandemic. I was waiting when I wrote my, the, the nonfiction book for new statistics to come out, and they hadn't quite come out in terms of you know, longitudinal statistics on reading of ebooks a good year on, if you follow me. Uh, mm, if, yeah. if those statistics go up, then I think there's more of a case. Uh, and there's always a case if you've got a book that, which is for slightly older middle grade, then then I would say going wide is, is possibly more of a strategic good decision to make. Hmm. Yeah. And uh, obviously it's people's personal choice and, and more things to experiment with. OK, so we're, we're almost out of time, but just coming back to the 10 year thing. And uh, in the book, you basically say that you're now making a good living from your books. And after a lot of hard work and learning, which you've been talking about, but sort of reflecting on the, the, the 10 years, how have you changed in your author business? What are some of the things that you've learned that will help people? make make that happen for them well first of all I would come back to saying don't underestimate the power of local with your as a children's author use all that to set your to, to establish your brand because eventually it's going to lead to bigger things and um, <clears throat> just take advantage of all these wonderful tools that were are around now that weren't when we all started out so things like Canva and Bookbrush to help with your marketing support material for flyers for libraries and all that stuff. And use all that to build your brand locally, as well as doing your, your online stuff. And again, keep learning. I listen to loads of podcasts when I'm doing exercise. So I've tried to kill two birds with one stone. There's always something new to learn. And it doesn't have to be necessarily just listening to children's podcasts, which and most of the ones I listen to aren't. But take advantage of all those Again, there's more places out there now that you can find children's book reviews, for example. So I've been asked a lot about where do I get reviews from? Well, mine are all sort of happening organically now, but certainly things like Story Origins and and Book Sirens, they all have now places where you can actually actively find people who are looking to review children's books, uh, as it were. So start local, do all that. Make sure you keep learning and 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 look at all the sort of sites uh, that are, are out there. Make use of your KDP Select free days for marketing if you are if, if indeed that if you are KDP Select, which on balance I would probably say when starting out that's what you need to be to use eBooks for for your marketing uh, to support your marketing. And I'm just trying to think through. Yeah, I think I think that's sort of. Has that answered it, Joe? I might have answered the wrong question there. Yeah, no, I think that's right. And and also, I guess, as a reflection of time, because if you had said, 
oh, I've been doing this for six years and it just hasn't happened for me. I'm just not successful enough. I'm going to give up. And then it was kind of that seventh year when your numbers started to go up and the tools emerge. So I guess that long-term mindset uh, has helped as well. And I think that the thing about that, what you've just described is I knew that the book I knew I could tell from all the hard local work. It's a good barometer, actually, of, of, you know, how well the book, you know, was it a good book? And it was a a good barometer of that. And um, but now we have all these other fantastic tools to to help take it a lot wider. So you have to embrace it. But it it, it is a lot of hard work still. I think it's just just the thing is you can't just put a book up, throw up some ads and then expect that that that, uh, you're going to do well. I mean, so so. Coming back to the Tell Me Tree, my latest book, which this picture book, it came out this time last year. When I did my figures a couple of weeks ago, it had sold over it, well over 4,000 copies now in print, which for children's picture book is pretty good. But it's taken a lot of hard work tweaking around with the ads and trying to work out what didn't work and didn't work, did work. And then trying with Facebook ads, which I hadn't used for ages, and then stumbling around in those and getting things wrong and right. So you you do have to have that business mind that, you know, you're going to learn, you're going to fail. But as long as you're getting decent reviews and you know from the feedback that the book's good, then you've just got to keep at it. Mm, Fantastic. So where can people find you and your books and everything you do online? Okay, so for for advice on self-publishing, I would recommend going to selfpublishingadventures.com. And there you can find everything you need to know, including the second edition of how to self-publish and market a children's book. And then if you want to see my actual, um, my titles, uh, then it's karenenglisauthor.com. Those are the two best, simplest ways, I think, to, to find me. Brilliant. Well, thanks so much for your time, Karen. That was great. All right. Thanks for having me. So I hope you found the interview with Karen interesting today and it's a testament to taking a long-term view and jumping on opportunities as they arrive in terms of ads and foreign rights licensing and evidence you can sell a lot of books as a children's author. So I definitely recommend uh, getting Karen's book if you write books for children. In fact, even if you don't, it's got a lot of interesting things in so this week coming up, I have another in between So This one is a solo show. It's a futurist show. I know some of you enjoy my futurist shows on Web, web 3.0, VR, AR, the metaverse and the spatial web. <laughs> and I know some of you are like, what? All this new language. And that's the point. This is new language, new terminology. You've probably heard now VR, virtual reality, AR, augmented reality. But Web 3.0, the metaverse, the spatial web, all of this is now being Uh, talked about in much more detail and has accelerated due to the pandemic. And there are some big developments coming in 2022. So I wanted to start talking about it to get you used to the language, especially as it could be a significant shift in the way we do business and do book marketing in the next decade. Then the following Monday, next Monday on the normal show, we're back to craft. I'm talking to Will uh, Angeline Trevina about world building and the different aspects of world building. So that's very cool. So happy writing and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening today. I hope you found it helpful. You might also like the backlist episodes and show notes available at thecreativepen.com forward slash podcast. 
You can also get your free author blueprint at thecreativepen.com forward slash blueprint. If you'd like to connect, you can tweet me at The Creative Pen or find me on Facebook at The Creative Pen. See you next time.